Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, December 5th, the Gender Exploration Edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the best advice show podcast. I'm the dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and a half, and we live in California. Today on the show, we give advice to parents who are wondering how to support their first graders' exploration of gender expression. But first, we've got an update. This letter is from our shell-shocked driver dad. If you remember, he was the one who had kids that screamed so much when getting in the car that he sometimes would drive them unbuckled. Here's what he had to say. Dear mom and dad, I have a win to report. I'm now able to get my kids in the car and in the seat with so much less fussing and screaming. I think what all the hosts said helped in different ways. Elizabeth said it sounded like I had lost control and she was so right. Upon reflection, I was more suggesting to my kids to get buckled rather than telling them they must get buckled. I also took Zach's advice of giving my kids the choice to get in the seat themselves or to have me help them into the seat. It seemed to shift the question from do I have to get in the seat to how do I want to get in the seat, which helped a lot. Finally, Dan affirmed that kids need to be in the seats at all times, no ifs, ands, or buts. Just having the certainty really helped me be resolute and insistent with my kids, which in turn left no room for them to wiggle or shriek their way out of it. It's kind of miraculous how much better things are now, and it wasn't any one gimmicky thing. It was just some common sense and tough love from the panel. You guys are the best, and I love this podcast. Oh, and I did research the e-bikes Zach suggested. I don't know if I just didn't find the right ones he was talking about, because the ones I saw weren't large enough or fast enough or had enough range and weren't rainproof enough to work for us, but I do appreciate the suggestion. Wow, shell-shocked dad. We are so glad we could help. I'm sorry that uh, you came up short on the e-bike research, but I have one last suggestion for you there. You should call a professional e-bike salesperson. There's a store that I know of. It's it's in Ann Arbor, but it doesn't matter. that You don't have to tell them where you live. Just call up Human Electric Hybrids LLC in Ann Arbor and just pick their brain because they are going to have some ideas for you. You might like be able to like customize a bike that will fit your needs because I think there is something out there. Anyways, if you're thinking, man, I'd really love some advice, write in to us. Send us your questions to momanddad at slate.com. You can also send us voice memos that way, momanddad at slate.com. That way we get to hear your voice, which is lovely. All right, we're going to take a quick break before we hear today's listener question. Stay right there. We are back and ready to hear our listener question. Dear mom and dad, my first grader on occasion has said that boys are better than girls and has always been a bit of a tomboy. Today, she got mad that I looked up girls' sweaters online because she said, quote, I want to be a boy, not a girl. I have so many feelings about this. I want to be supportive if that's the journey, but I also feel anxious and sad and worried. I don't know whether to go all in or just observe and see how things play out until my first grader is older to see if this is a persistent desire to change gender identities. I would really welcome any advice or words of wisdom. Thanks so much. Jamila, what do you think about this? I 
understand that you're going through a complicated range of emotions. And I think most parents would be as well. But what's most important is that you want to be supportive. I think that you should ask questions without leading. I think you should allow your child to reveal themselves to you and be open to that reveal. I want to be a boy, not a girl, deserves a conversation. When you say that, what do you mean? Do you want to wear boy sweaters? You know, what do you think the difference between boys and girls may be? This could simply be, I think girls' clothes suck. And I want to wear boys clothes, you know, like it could be, hey, I'm noticing some of the things that are assigned to girls, like the idea of weakness and subservience. And, you know, I don't have the language to articulate that a lot of what comes with being a girl really doesn't work for me. And so my reaction to that is to say, I don't want to be a girl anymore. It could be that it could be that you have a child who's of trans experience, you know, but there is a lot that needs to be said and expressed before we get to that place. You know, I think you have a lot of questions to ask. And again, ask without pushing. And I think that, you know, you can talk to a child this age about what it means to be of trans experience and to say there are people who feel that their hearts and their body parts don't line up. What you want to do is talk to them about who they are and see what they have to say to you. And if it seems that there's something going on more complicated than I just don't like girly clothes or I don't want to play with Barbie dolls, then, you know, you'll need to have those difficult conversations and your child's survival will depend upon your ability to handle those conversations and to continue to be supportive. So I just hope that no matter what support is the headline for you here. Some of this really resonates with me because a few months back we were at a Fort Union and one of the things they had there was this display of costumes. And one of my kids uh, tried on like the girl prairie dress outfit and like loved it, loved it so much so that it has like topped their Christmas lists. I had this moment where I thought, you know, do I want to buy this? Like everything they put on their list and sort of came down to this, this sense of like, yes, why wouldn't I get this for them? Who cares? But also that it offered this opportunity to ask this kid like, hey, are you, I see this is on your list. Are you looking for something that you can dress up with here at home? Are you looking for something that could go, that you could wear out, right? Because those would be totally different purchases um, and having kind of that intro to that conversation. But at the end of the day, deciding that the best thing I can do is to honor what they have asked for in the same way that I would for for something else that is appropriate and within the right price range, right? To show my kid that I'm listening and that I respect what they say and that I don't think they're too young to make decisions about their own body. Does this also mean that now I'm paying more attention and having more conversations? Certainly as we are purchasing new clothes, you know, I've tried to invite them more into that conversation. Do you want to come with me? Where do you want to look? Like not being the driving force to be to be sensitive 
to what's going on, but also to reserve the right that, like, perhaps they just really liked dressing up in this outfit and would like to continue dressing up in this outfit and that it, it's not a big thing. I actually, um, back in the episode that I think is called Part One of the Teen Talk series, I talked with Dr. Joe Kern specifically kind of about this. The conversation was about teens, but asking for advice on what to do if you're the parent of a child who's coming to you with some of this information. And he gave some great advice. So definitely go go check out that episode. But the take home from that interview was, first of all, it's okay for you to have all of these feelings, but those feelings are not your child's to deal with. They're yours to deal with. And if that means therapy, if that means going ahead and having some conversations with yourself, with your friends, with people who can be supportive about how you're feeling so that you work through those and they are not muddled with whatever your child needs to talk to you about, that that that. Yeah. you know, needs to happen separate. And also that the best thing you can do as a parent is let your child know that you are there for them, right? And that you hear them and that you are not going to judge them based on anything they tell you or ask for you. So I would consider yourself very lucky that your child is asking you these things and telling you these things. A wonderful resource for some of this specifically targeted at parents um, is GayCenter.org, which is the webpage for the center, which is a lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community center in New York. But on their webpage, they have an entire section on family. And from there, they have a great list of articles and classes and all sorts of things for parents who are supporting, you know, a child transitioning, a child who's thinking about it, just... I think that it's a very good thing to go read to know that you're not alone, but also to start processing these so that as you have these conversations with your child, you are not processing your own feelings with them. Because it's really two two different things, and all the feelings are valid, but you as the parent need to be there to support your child and not be working out your feelings and trauma, which are valid, but that's not your child's to deal with. That's yours to deal with. Yeah, the only two things I would add to this are in the short term, just let your kid pick out their own clothes. That that should be simple. There's no need to get them girl sweaters if they're not comfortable wearing girl sweaters. Um, and and the second thing I would add to the resource pile that um, that Elizabeth started, there is this absolutely wonderful podcast called How to Be a Girl, and it started in 2014 when the mother um, of a three-year-old was told by their three-year-old, and this doesn't sound like your kid, but at the age of three, this three-year-old told their mom that though born a boy, they were a girl. So they could articulate this at a very young age. And the podcast goes on for the next seven years where we're hearing conversations between this incredibly brilliant um, young transgender girl and her mom. And so, though the circumstances are, are different, you're going to learn so much about how to listen, how to observe, how to second-guess your assumptions. And if you're just looking for vulnerable, beautiful, incredible documentary storytelling that will, I promise, illuminate uh, whatever path you are going to head down, uh, you should definitely listen to How to Be a Girl. Well, letter writer, we hope our advice helped. Please let us know how it goes. Everyone else, do you have some advice for our letter writer? Let us know by emailing us at momanddad at slate.com. That's also where you can send us any questions of your own. 
it's finally time for recommendations. Elizabeth, what have you got? Okay, so we, as the winter kind of settles in, um, we like to do a lot of things surrounding the winter solstice and kind of uh, thinking about this darker time. And so this year, our uh, read aloud in the evening is called Stories of the Aurora by Joan Marie Gallat. It's just this wonderful book that covers not only the scientific facts about the aurora or the northern lights, but also has a bunch of legends kind of surrounding them, including tales from several indigenous groups who, um, like their ancestral lands, are up in the area where they saw the northern lights all the time. There's some Norse mythology. There's even kind of a Roman interpretation of what they believed the aurora to be. It's just such a lovely read together and I've learned a bunch which I always think is great and uh, it's a wonderful way to kind of celebrate winter and and think about what winter was like you know with these lights appearing all the time uh, for many of these people uh, it's dark most of the day so even appearing during the day and and the stories that were collected around them and what we know about it now so it's a great read again it's called stories of the aurora how about you Jamila I've got another recipe this one is from the New York Times cooking section again. I don't know how I stumbled upon this recipe. It might have just been one of the ones on the homepage of the cooking app. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's for the recipe that I use is for pork chops with miso caramelized apples. We don't eat pork, but I tried this twice now. The first time with chicken breast, which was very good. But I don't have like a huge skillet, so it's kind of hard to cook more than a couple of chicken breasts at a time um, in the skillet that I do have. So I did half in the pressure cooker. I mean, half in the Instant Pot, half on the stove. It still came out really well. Um, and then last night, what I did was that I roasted a chicken. No, I, um, I cooked it in the Instant Pot. I pressure cooked it for a while, like mostly cooked it. And then I put it on roast for 10 minutes to brown it a bit. Mm. And I took some of the drippings from the chicken and I added it to the miso caramel mixture, Mm. um, cooked it on the skillet, then poured it on top of the chicken and heated it up for a few more minutes to let it brown. And it is so good. What I did was I tripled the amounts for the miso, for all the ingredients except for the meat. I used the whole chicken. So I tripled the recipe and I used the big apples and... It is so good. Oh, my God. It's just so good. The salty-sweet combination with the chicken. That sounds so good. Miso is, like, the one of the great flavor accelerants. It is. I'm, it's so deceptively, like, potent and complex. and mm, It's so good. I, I want to try this. Yes. Love it. Um, my recommendation today is a Twitter thread from Naomi Fisher, who's a therapist- and developmental psychologist. And I'll just read you. We're going to put a, a link to the full thread in the show notes, but it struck me. I've been following her. I actually recently subscribed to her Substack as well. But this is what she writes. It's, it's pretty short. One of the most significant things we could do to change education for the better would be to really acknowledge difference. We could simply accept that not all five-year-olds are ready to read and not all 16-year-olds are ready to do high-stakes exams. We would accept that some children need years more play and others continue to need their parents. Some need help with their emotions for longer and some need time to decompress each day. When we did that, we'd stop expecting that they should be able to do that now that they are four and instead we'd focus on what do they need now that they are four. We'd stop telling children that they shouldn't be struggling with the things that they find hard. If we recognize difference in development, we'd see that comparisons are pointless, and we'd allow each child to develop and discover the things that they are drawn to. 
we'd stop measuring them all against a quote norm and saying that some are behind whilst others are ahead. So that's just four of the 16 tweets. It's really, it's super helpful reading and mm-hmm. she's a great follow, Naomi Fisher. I love that. Well, uh, that's it for our show. We will link to all these recommendations in our show notes. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Taiwo Macanjula. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. 